You are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Insulin, invaluable medicine, yes. Perfect murder weapon, perhaps. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, your host, and I'm delighted to welcome in with me today Dr. Vincent Marks, professor of clinical biochemistry and medical doctor at the University of Surrey in Guilford. Welcome, Dr. Marks. Good evening. Uh, Dr. Marks is an international expert on hypoglycemia and has recently written a book entitled The Insulin Murders that we will be exploring today. Tell me how you got interested in this field, Dr. Marks. Well, I've been interested in uh, hypoglycemia ever since I was involved in uh, the investigation of insulinomas about 50 years ago when I was a junior doctor at the Institute of Neurology where patients with insulin-secreting tumors used to get sent because they were thought to be suffering from epilepsy or dementia or hemiplegia. And uh, it was only then that when we measured their blood glucose that we found that they had insulin-secreting tumors. How was glucose measured at that time, Dr. Marks? I had just invented a method for measuring glucose Uh, using glucose oxidase that enabled us to pick up these cases that had previously been missed. So that was my baptism with uh, hypoglycemia, which remained an interest and still is an interest of mine. And of course, uh, it meant that I got involved with diabetes too, but insulin mainly secreted by insulin-secreting tumors was my main interest. Uh, And and from this, uh, I became reasonably well-known as a result of a monograph that I wrote in 1964 on hypoglycemia. So I saw cases from all sorts of situations, and eventually I was asked to be an expert in uh, first one case thought to be uh, insulin murder, and uh, subsequently several more. Tell us a little bit about how insulin might be used to commit a murder. Well, it's been known almost from the day it was discovered that insulin could produce hypoglycemia, which if not treated by giving uh, glucose to raise the blood glucose concentration, could lead to irreversible brain damage. In fact, the first suicide with insulin was recorded within five years of the discovery of insulin. Now, the body normally is so well equipped to overcome the effects of hypoglycemia that very, very few people with diabetes ever die from hypoglycemia because their body mechanism can overcome the low blood sugar. And of course, by the time that all the machinery comes into play, the insulin has dissipated and it doesn't carry on for long. Whereas if you give a very large dose, there's a much longer period during which the insulin level is very high and glucose goes into the tissues and the liver is prevented from putting out any glucose. So although the liver is stuffed full of glycogen, it can't release it in the presence of a high insulin concentration. How does this affect the brain? The brain needs glucose in order to survive And after about three to six hours of glucose deprivation, it eventually sort of begins to um, undergo auto-destruct. The cells start dying, 
And once that's happened, it's very difficult to get them to recover. So it would be very hard due to glucagon and all the counter-regulatory mechanisms for an accidental uh, overdose in a diabetic to cause serious harm or certainly death. Fortunately, that is true. It's, I mean, it, we know from the work that was done with insulin coma therapy in the early days of uh, organic psychiatry, as it were, the sacral treatment for uh, schizophrenia, that patients could survive about six hours or so of deep hypoglycemia without suffering irreversible brain damage. What level of glucose is needed to cause irreversible damage? Work subsequently done on uh, monkeys more or less established that the blood glucose needed to be below about 1.1 millimole, that's 20 milligrams per cent, up to about six hours before you could be pretty certain that uh, irreversible damage was going to occur. Once that's happened, you may be able to prevent the person dying and they can stay in a state of decerebrate activity for 25, 30 years. Mm -hmm. So it's not a a very pleasant way of attempting to commit suicide, and it's uh, not a very, very good way of killing somebody because at any time between, as it were, the time the insulin was administered and irreversible brain damage occurring, the patient or the, per- the, the victim can be brought round by giving them intravenous glucose, uh, possibly, uh, again, with something like mannitol and dexamethasone to prevent brain swelling. If they, of course, then they come round, they can tell uh, exactly what has happened. Right. So you need very large doses, and it takes a long time for this to have its effect. And and is the eventual mechanism of death when people do die cerebral edema and herniation? Well, that is one of the ways, but it seems as though most of the cases that have been reported and recorded, uh, and they haven't been found dead. They often uh, develop really uh, multiple organ failure and die 10 to 15 days after they've gone into irreversible coma. It does seem as though uh, once people have been found and they're not dead, their bodies can be resurrected but not their brains. And I suppose that they're therefore much more susceptible to infection and a multiple organ failure. You are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and I'm speaking with Dr. Vincent Marks, World Authority on Measurement of Insulin and Hypoglycemia, and we are discussing insulin as a potential murder weapon. Dr. Marks, where do the perpetrators uh, get the insulin? Well, it's very interesting. Until about six Seven years ago, you didn't, in Britain, you didn't need a uh, prescription to get insulin. But, of course, insulin is relatively freely available. I mean, there are so many people with diabetes in the community. Nurses have access to it. Patients with uh, uh, diabetes have access to it. And, and, and usually they don't lock up their supplies of insulin. So quite a few cases have been known in which... Uh, boyfriends, girlfriends, uh, uh, spouses, and so on, have uh, used the insulin of their, uh, their diabetic partner to do uh, mischief. It seems, therefore, that healthcare workers might have the knowledge and the access to use insulin in suspect ways. Is this the case? Nurses dominate the field. 
a few doctors, but in the main, it's nurses who have used uh, insulin to dispose of people. Is there any pattern to the victims? I regret to say children uh, and elderly people, um, people who are defenseless and are in the care of the person who is doing the, um, uh, the mischief. They're not particularly the cases in the book that, uh, where we describe, but it turns out that nine out of the 14 cases that I decided to uh, describe in, in insulin murders were nurses, and one of them was a doctor. So 10 out of 14 the cases had a medical connection. So no surprise where they could get it then. And, and how about the dose? Uh, does, do people calculate a particular dose, or it's a more random? I don't think that uh, anybody knows uh, what the dose is in many of the, in the murder cases, but uh, it's usually a sort of a vial full. Uh, of course, it's going to change quite a bit now that with pe- people using uh, insulin injection pens, which often only contain 300 units. But previously, when uh, uh, we used 10 mil vials, uh, there would be a thousand units, and often that one, two, or even three vials of insulin would be used, particularly in the suicide cases. But in the murder cases, we think that large quantities uh, are also used. I see. And then uh, I know this has changed over the years as we've developed other techniques to measure glucose and, and particularly insulin levels. But how does one detect this? Well, in fact, after death, diagnosis of hypoglycemia uh, is extremely difficult because glucose disappears from the, uh, the, the corpse very quickly because it's used by the red cells which continue to uh, uh, glycolyze and turn it into lactate and of course the enzymes in the tissues are still active and can convert glucose into lactate so that measurement of glucose in a corpse is really of no value for ascertaining whether somebody had or had not got hypoglycemia at the time of their death. Fortunately, insulin is much more stable in peripheral blood, and as long as the blood is taken not from the right side of the heart, which can often have misleading results, but is taken from peripheral vessel, and the plasma, or the serum as it is, is separated from the red cells quickly, then the insulin can be measured, and even uh, equally important, C-peptide can be measured. So insulin and C-peptide, and actually uh, also pro-insulin, can be measured in blood collected uh, after death. And of course, if death is due to insulin, the plasma insulin will be high, sometimes unbelievably high, and the C-peptide will be unrecordably low, as of course will the pro-insulin. That's, that's very interesting. And, and earlier on, as I read some of the cases in your book, uh, this was done not through blood, but actual, actually through tissue samples. Is that correct? Yes. Now that, of course, is, uh, if you like, that can clinch the, the diagnosis. If you were uh, confined the site of the injection by uh, searching the body, as it were, particularly in the days when needles were much bigger than they are today, it was pretty easy if one was examining a body very thoroughly and the person had died quickly, then uh, you could remove the tissue around the injection sites uh, and assay the insulin in that. In these cases, is it truly the insulin that does the killing? But one of the things that really emerges in the book is that insulin was often not the sole weapon. 
it's almost as if the perpetrators, having given insulin, didn't get the, the result that they expected because the person didn't die quickly enough. <laughs> so quite a lot of the cases were beaten around the head, suffocated, drowned. You know, some other device was used to actually hasten death. Although this is a, a, the book is about insulin murders, uh, very few of the cases was insulin the sole weapon. That is very, very interesting. So the frustrated perpetrators had to resort to some other method. Absolutely. It's quite interesting. Well, I want to thank Dr. Vincent Marks, who's been our guest as we've been discussing uh, insulin as a potential murder weapon. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>